you so much for tuning in to She's All Over the Place with Kiriaki. That's me. Thank you so much for tuning in to She's All Over the Place. I have an exciting, amazing, legendary guest for you today, Robert Sturman. Robert Sturman is a dear friend, a true artist, legendary soul, and seriously, he has taught me so much about language and my own soul and what it means to be a true artist. I feel in my life, out of all the people I've met, I feel Robert Sturman was really the number one most soulful artist I've ever met. When he came into my life and we crossed paths and we can share our journey of how we met, I was so moved by his way and his essence and his presence and the way he saw his lens in the world. So it's such an honor to have Robert Sturman on today. Robert, thank you so much for joining me. Ah, uh, thank you so much for having me. It's it's really an honor to uh, be included with somebody who I'm a dear friend with. Yeah. And it's not just a professional thing. Oh, yeah, definitely. So we're going to deep dive for um, the viewer. Yeah, if you want to check it out on YouTube, just check out YouTube, uh, Robert Sturman. She's all over the place podcast. And for the listener, you're in for an amazing ride. We're here to inspire you. We're going to deep dive on the psychology of what it means to be an artist and just honor and share Robert's journey thus far. Robert's from California. When you were born, Robert, what happened? When, when did you know you were quote unquote different? What happened for you to be like, oh, I'm not like everyone, or how was it for you to know I'm an artist? That took a long time. It was definitely not when I was born. When I think it was, it wasn't until I was around 14 that I decided, like I discovered sadness and insecurity, uncertainty, like the things that teenagers discover. And so I ended up going to boarding school when I was 14 years old. And when my father dropped me off, he gave me a camera and I asked him what I was supposed to make pictures of. And he just answered, really not even thinking about it. He said, anything that you love. Now, after I heard that, I didn't make much of it, but later on it would, it would have been, turned out to have been the most important artistic advice I'd ever received. But to become an artist and to know that I was an artist, that took many years. It took many years and many graduations that had nothing to do with being educated at the academies and everything to do with exploring on my own and working through my own stuff and feeling a connection with the history of art. But I got to tell you, when I was coming up as an artist, I was very clumsy at it. I was a horrible photographer. I was a horrible photographer. I had to try so hard to get something that was decent. And once in a while, I would get something cool. And what I learned to do was to imitate it, copy it, until that luck that I got would eventually turn into skill. But I was not born with any of this. All I was born with was a desire to, to feel good in this world and to have a way to express myself a deep desire, but zero skill. Mm -hmm. 
so back then, what kind of camera was it? My first one was like a, a Pentax K1000, just the traditional kind that looks a lot like the ones professional photographers use, but they're digital. But this had film, which uh, you put, I don't know who this audience is, but we used to put film in cameras and go into a dark room to process it. Uh, a lot of the um, viewers and the listeners who tune in, um, there's a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of artists, a lot of uh, right. teens uh, tune into my show as well. Um, I'm so- somewhat playing because oh sorry because it's such a a new world of digital photography oh yeah 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 so oh yeah this thing called film so it was film that yeah it was film that went into it did it fit in your pocket for you to be able to take it to school like did you film people or did you film plants what did you start taking photos of first trees shadows Anything, anything that I, I would hope would be something decent so I could pass the class and and start to find a language with it and get comfortable with it. But then after I made a few that were somewhat cool <clears throat> that I was proud of, I started to identify with it and I, I just got better and better at it. And I, I did a whole series of self-portraits mm. in, te- in 10th grade. And that was a deep exploration into, I mean, just finding out who I was. And I think that's what happens. I think from 14 years old, from 30 years old, was I was a very cathartic artist. Mm. Like I needed to get stuff out and work stuff out. So I filled thousands of pages of sketchbooks, which I'm sure you remember when we first started uh, becoming friends that I was working on sketchbooks a lot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you um, did a portrait of me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, So totally. that's what I was doing. And you were using the charcoal charcoal pencil crayons everything Mm -hmm. so it doesn't matter if it's like high-end material or cheap material like art is art right so you can take anything and (laughs) make it into art i mean we're going to be talking about the polaroids in a little bit and those polaroids will prove that because those were only i never paid more than five dollars for one of those polaroids and those pictures it's it's all coming from somebody's sincerity Mm -hmm. from the heart Mm -hmm. yeah i love that yeah we can uh, we can deep dive into the polaroids since you brought it up i have one question though because you you mentioned the word language and I know in the art community of uh, painters, you know, a lot of art dealers are always like, what's the language? What's the, la- what's the language of the artist? So it's the first time I actually heard a photographer say the language of photography. So can you talk about maybe uh, what is your language? Um, what is your language? What does that identify mean for you now? Well, first of all, I, I consider myself a painter and who has the luxury of using a camera to be able to paint my pictures, tell my stories. And the camera is just tremendously faster at creating. And so I really identified with that. As far as language is concerned, to me, what it represents is what I see out in the world and what I'm going to put together and compose in order to say something. So like for now, while I photograph yoga, all over the world, I'm using this expressive bodily language, mm. like arms reaching into the sky and heart backbending towards the clouds. And that's the language that I'm using to tell a story about humanity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. From your Instagram, I see a lot of times, not a lot, but I've seen the divine femininity in your work and women who are pregnant. So can you share a brushstroke of that, what it means for you and why you express those sincerities in the, you know, in mother nature of the divine femininity? 
You know, what a great question, because that's one of the things that I like when I thought before that, okay, I'm going to stop doing private shoots for a while. And and then I, if I get tired, which only has happened a few times, I always come back to how much I love photographing a woman carrying a child. Because there's, when you're in the, no matter how bad the world is, and we went through a pretty rough patch, hopefully we're out of it, no matter how bad the world is a mother has to have hope. And so for me to be able to take a creative journey with a a Madonna and child, really, which is an ancient theme in the history of art, it's like the greatest honor Mm. to be able to tell that story and to be able to celebrate that moment when they're just deep in the heart of creation. Mm -hmm. So... Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I I love it. It's that's that's yeah. the greatest one of the greatest honors to as a photographer is to do is to do that. Yeah, I love what you just said because of that sincerity and that moment that you're talking about. I could just have the foresight of those individuals who are women who are carrying child for them to frame it for them to be able to look back to see that moment in time. You know, like in that moment or a, a year later or ten years later, like even you know four decades later for them to see that moment with the child in them so yeah and then you're you're able to capture that it's gorgeous I love it very beautiful thank you you. yeah and yeah for the listener and uh, the viewer uh, Robert does travel internationally and we can get into some of his international travels he mentioned he does um you know individual photo shoots and uh I know um a couple of times he's uh taught photography to some um, students. So could definitely go to his his website, robertsturmanstudio.com and um, see when he's coming to your state or your area. And so you can sign up or email and be on his mailing list to sign up to if you want to maybe have a private photo shoot with Robert, that could be really cool to meet him in person and, you know, in a group course or an individual shoot when, you know, when he's available. Cool. Very cool. Nice. Is that okay? Yes. Yay. Okay. Awesome. That's an open invitation for you. (laughs) Cool. So going into the Polaroids that we were just talking about, first and foremost, I want to bridge the connection of the story you just shared with Maya is from Greece, from Hios. And she, when um, I was full-time living in LA, she would come visit me for two weeks, a couple times out of the year. And one time it was her 50th year anniversary of being in America from coming from the old country, the image you have of Yaya and me in 2005 and her celebration. We have beautiful photos and art we've created together. That one specifically is just landmarks of monumental time of Yaya being in America for 50 years. So I feel you know, for the each individual Madonna, they feel, you know, that same sacredness that I feel with that image with Yaya. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you remember a that wonderful shoe? model. Of course I remember it. Yeah. Yeah. I never forget any shoe. Mm. It's, you know, and, and the fact that it's gone on living. Well, first of all, I, as a photographer, you always, you relive everything because it's in the portfolios permanently. Mm-hmm. And I don't put 
you know, that's one of the master files of you mm. and Yaya. So mm. I come across it every once in a while. And it's photography is miraculous in how it keeps people connected. Yaya might have remembered me once or twice, but because she sees the picture all the time, I'm always on her mind. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. She remembers you. And yeah, I took some of the images from a lover's fairy tale poetry book. I put them on coffee mugs. I asked you if that was OK. I yeah. put them on coffee mugs. So I ordered her one and I sent it to her. So she has that on her coffee mug every single morning. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell us about um, Polaroids and how you got to the Polaroid and your journey, anything that comes up for you that you would like to share with us. The Polaroid is something that I, I learned when I was 18, 19 years old, and I apprenticed to a master photographer in Carmel, California. And what this particular process is, which I did an extensive body of work with Kadiyaki, is that what you go by? Yeah. Especially Kadiyaki. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, so it's an integration of painting and photography. And what I mean by that is it's an old Polaroid that they don't make anymore, this film, even though Polaroid came back, they don't make this film. So the picture would come out of the camera. And right away, I would have to warm it in the sun or on my skin and then use tools. Mainly, I used a big pen cap, I'm sure you remember, or dental tools. And I would carve into the surface and accentuate the lines and the forms before they would solidify. So it was a wonderful moment because it was before the invention of Photoshop. So everything really had to be done with mindfulness and just carefully because if you screwed one up you'd have to throw it away so from the moment you made the photograph the light had to be perfect you remember we used to always shoot it either early in the morning or right when the sun was going down in order to capture the golden light and make this camera that was only five dollars and it's made of plastic make this film sing and dance by just being getting it all in alignment with the elements and then once that picture comes out of the camera carving into the surface and accentuating the lines and the forms. No, I'll fix it later in Photoshop. This taught me how to pay attention. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh yeah, I remember uh, the lighting had to be perfect. I remember we would uh, do some and you're like, okay, I think I got one. And you would look at it and then you would get ecstatic. You're like, oh, this is it, this is it. And then you would go to work on it right away. It was like, you would maybe do like four to six or seven photos and then you'd be like okay and you got it and then you started working on it and you know if I was lucky <laughs> you know it, it was very ambitious and maybe we'd, we would create more than one but usually it was one piece for each location and how long was it decades how long were you doing the Polaroid process from 1989 until 2009 2008 mm-hmm. I remember I was at your house in the living room and you're in your dining room area. And I remember when you told me they discontinued the Polaroid. Did you cry? Um, I remember in that moment <laughs> that I was with a legendary artist and I'm like, oh, this is normally like Van Gogh, Picasso, anyone who's done amazing work, they're, they're deceased. And you were so young. And I'm like, this is an artist who has this way and it's so gorgeous. And I was there with you like nonstop and you had to i remember witnessing your process and your transition of having to reinvent yourself as an artist i remember that exact moment 
feeling so lucky and honored that I was witnessing something so great. Wow, thank you. Mm-hmm. It was very painful and scary at first, mm-hmm. but um, yep. I was. But it, it transitioned quite well. And right when I let go of it, I definitely like people often ask me if I missed it, and there's there's nothing I miss about it. It was <laughs> it was hard work. So mm-hmm. when I trained doing that, as I just said, took so much concentration and perfectionism that when I switched over to a digital camera. It was like, it was seriously like I'd been trying to run a marathon in high heels with the Polaroid. And then somebody gave me a pair of Nikes. Wedges or stilettos? Stilettos. Oh, geez. Torture, torture. I remember, (laughs) (laughs) I remember how hard you were on yourself to get it exactly right. The image, the the art that you were so particular and specific and intently working. And so do you find yourself as, you know, evolution has gone on and we're more mindfulness because you're very much into yoga, meditation, you know, long before I met you, you were definitely, you know, definitely a full on yogi and embodied, you know, that whole spirit. Uh, Do you find your process? Because like you said, um, doing the digital, what you said, how it was like a lighter load for you now, like less pain. Um, Do you find yourself not being as hard on yourself with your work? Are you still very exact, you know, as an artist would be not as hard on yourself with it? Well, I think maybe that there was a little bit of an exception because that was a that was like, I mean, there was things would have to go in the trash. If like, if I got a perfect photograph and then I messed up the carving and the the photograph was a decisive moment where I couldn't reenact it. So it was a whole different thing. And I don't remember being, I'm sure I was hard on myself, but addressing that, I would say that I calmed down a lot as I grew up as an artist and was able to do more work. See, I think the greatest thing an artist can do is become a better human being and work Mm. on ourselves because that comes through in the work. So I had to clear a lot of stuff out of myself so that I wasn't as much in the work. I could get out of the way. Like I said, it was more cathartic when I was younger. Yeah. And then I reached a point where where I just, I was an artist for, I became an artist for life. I was way more in, ser- I'm way more in service to life with my work. And I don't feel much anxiety or attention about anything creatively anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Even if it's uh, like a, a once in a lifetime opportunity, I, I'm pretty relaxed about it. Like uh, uh, the Grammys in 2005, like a life, was it 2005 or 2004? Something like, so one of those years, yes. So I, that's a once in a lifetime opportunity. You right. uh, were the official artist who designed the poster for the Grammys. Right. That's and- true, that it was once in a lifetime, but you're getting carried away because where it was once in a lifetime experience to be honored by them, but I had already done the work. So I didn't need, I didn't have to do anything except for show up and, and have a great time and, and talk oh. about the work. Oh, they just put the Grammy on the poster? What happened was I gave a 
they asked me for music cares asked me for a donation they're a, uh, a part of the recording academy grammys that helps musicians that are in times of need so i had just finished a an extensive series celebrating the music of cuba and they took notice of that work and called me in to just talk to me and and see what i was all about and while i was talking to them and, and to see if i make a donation to their music heirs of artwork. And while I was in there, I looked at all the posters because they have them all framed and lined up in there. And I said, I want to make your poster. Their official artwork. It's more than a poster. It's the work that goes on everything. The tickets, the jackets, shirts, everything. It's all just the piece of the year. And up until then, it had always been very well-known artist. And I was just a young, up-and-coming slightly arrogant at the time and um and so they because they wanted my donation i believe they reluctantly gave me a grammy and said okay go for it and so that's when i made it and it was it was something that they i was so i worked so hard i i wanted that mm-hmm. you know i really really wanted and i what i noticed is that all their their official artworks were of the gramophone. And so basically I just copied, not copied, but I just used my style and my style was always about the musician. Mm. And that was important. I was like, well, what's the trophies cool, yeah, yeah. but it's the artist. Yeah. So I made the artist the main character and I made sure they knew what I was doing that like this is what he won, but this is the artist and I called the piece the humble heroics of the musical poet and they chose it. Beautiful. Beautiful. I love this story. Thank you for sharing. That's so cool. And then uh, there was this signing um downtown and yeah. or, and you took me to it. It was so fun. Uh the Blind Boys of Alabama were there. I became friends yeah. with Joey Williams. He's the only one that's not blind. He's now the president of the Blind yeah. Boys of Alabama. But he and I became friends and we're like good friends to this day. We've done musical projects, but I met him because of you, because you as yeah. an artist had a grand opportunity and you had a plus one and you selected me to go with you and to honor me to be a part of your journey and your experience. And I was able to meet Joey Williams and also um, Johnny Ho. He was partners with um, Jermaine Dupree for 15 years. He did all the ma- mastering engineering for Mariah, Janet, Bow Wow, like Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis, like like legendary. And he and I, and he lives in Atlanta and he and I are good friends. Those are two great musicians that I met because of you just being in your presence. That's the kind of a collective and energy you curate into your existence and being. So thank you that, so much. That's very kind of you, but wait, let me, can, I, can we please take it a step further? I think yeah. you left out Sting, Elton John, <laughs> Hugh Hefner, Rob Thomas. I mean, everyone that night you went up to and you were like the first person to ever do a selfie, I think. I'd never seen anybody hold a camera to and you would just go up to him and grab him like, hey, sting, sting and just put your arm around him. And every single one of them was just delighted because it wasn't the selfie revolution yet. You were the first one. Thank you. And that was that was at the Music Cares event. Yeah, the year yeah. before, before I got the gig. Paul when they just, they gave right. me tickets to, because I made the donation and was part of that charity. 
Oh yeah. I mean, that was, I mean, Hugh Hefner, I mean, let, I mean, legendary, right? I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah, seriously. Oh yeah. He went was- up to everyone. I mean, the whole experience was great, but going back to what you're saying about the blind boys of Alabama, I mean, this, to this day, I still think about, I was in signing posters for probably hundreds of people. They all came to get th- this poster signed. And the fact that the blind boys were in line to get their posters signed by me, I, that, I just, I, to this day, I, that was the greatest thing I've ever experienced. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, next time uh, Joey Williams is in LA, I definitely have to connect the both of you. Okay. Yeah, for you guys to meet up and, you know, do your thing as artists. Okay, so I need to take it a step further then. Okay. I just, I just thought of something. Yo, Janice Joplin's mother was in line to get your autograph. And I met Janice Joplin's mother who lived in Texas. I didn't know that. Really? Janice Joplin's mother. I met her. She lives in Texas. I met her because of you. She was there. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know. I know. Well, I mean, you have thousands of people swarming around you. So, you know, one Sharpie after another. (laughs) That was a beautiful moment. And I I would have signed posters till for a hundred days straight without a break. And that's one thing I, I was just thinking about that yesterday that like the first time I was ever published in a newspaper, I remember waking up at 4.30 in the morning because there was an article coming out about me when I was 19 and just going to looking, trying to chase down that newspaper truck to just get the first one. I was so excited. And I realized that I'm still as an artist, none of that gets old. I am so excited just to have people interested in what I have to say, my work. Mm-hmm. So it mm-hmm. never changes. And when mm-hmm. if it changes, just smack me. Tell me I'm an arrogant idiot. No, won't say that. Won't say that. We'll just take you to a desolate island so you can just have some isolation for a little while. Some <laughs> solitude to get a refresh, like a blank white canvas, you know. Okay. But yeah, I mean, you're an artist and you have your childlike spirit and energy. And it's it's what keeps us going, you know. It's, it's just it's that excitement, that curiosity. Well, but it's, it's a privilege, too, because you just mentioned living artists in Van Gogh. And a lot of my heroes in the history of art, they died before they could get any sort of recognition and appreciation of their work. And obviously, these heroes are on a, a whole nother level than I am as far as their popularity is concerned. But still, for me, it's it's so sacred just to just to have an audience. It's it's We can never take that for granted. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, totally. Definitely, definitely. Um, speak. Speaking of heroes, some people you admire and along the way that taught you important lessons for your process and journey as an artist. I'm sure there's so many, but any that come up to you and you maybe want to share some um, gem stories, that'd be really cool. Boy, they're they're all going to just come at me um, in a minute. I mean, there's just, I'll start with just, um, there's a quote. Obviously, I do have stories. Yeah, uh, here we go. There's a, um, so when I was 30, right before I met you, I took a trip to India to do my first comprehensive body of work. And this was with the Polaroid. And when I was there, the first thing that happened was I started at, in Pune, India, at Osho's Meditation Retreat Center. And when I walked in, there was this very large sign. It said, the way of the creator. That's what it was called. And it said, to be creative means to be in love with life. You can only be creative if you love life so deeply that it's natural for you to offer a song here, 
a poem there, a dance over here. And so when I read that, like, I didn't need to go all the way to India to read that, but this is just how it happened. But when I read that, that was the missing link. That was what I was never given permission to do in the West, because in the West, we're somewhat ideologically conditioned to believe that artists need to create out of struggle, out of desperation. And that statement was the missing link. It was giving me permission to take care of my life and make my life my art, my life a masterpiece, and that the work that I did was just an expression of that. It just was a natural, effortless expression rather than struggling and and being self-destructive. And so that was the seed. And being addicted to that, addicted to that um, destructiveness, right? There's an addiction, like you said, being psychologically thinking you need to struggle to be an artist. Yeah. All of it, that. I mean, you Mm -hmm. look at the statistics, so many artists die of overdoses and Mm -hmm. just lead lead lives of self-destruction because they don't know how to deal with the creativity and make use of the tools that we have available to us to to be able to sit still in the fire and let it let existence burn through us but not get burned Mm -hmm. and it's one of the reasons why you're here right now to share and add value for the artists listening and for the the artists watching that's exactly why we do the work that we do to share and expand through creativity and the love of, you know, the the wisdom. Because, I mean, you are just, you are next level. Okay, since day one. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah. So are you, by the oh, way. Thank you, thank you. Many <laughs> Beyond. Thank you, many Seriously, people. I could turn this podcast no. around and just talk about you. Seriously, I really oh. could. Okay, so let's do that on I another mean, podcast. Let's just praise you for like, just like a minute. Okay, can we do that? We interrupt this podcast to praise the host for a moment okay okay you seriously you have so much just the fact that your perseverance is tremendous i've never seen you even consider giving up and being an actor is gotta be it has to be one of the hardest jobs there is to go to audition after audition after audition and get kicked in the teeth or who knows what happens there but you never ever complain and you kept on going back and you just you got your spirit is so strong and seriously you look younger now than you did when i met you what the thank you thank you and, thank you <laughs> and i don't know what you're like what the now, heavens? but what the heavens what the heavens that's right what no, the heavens? i remember when we first met it was no i wasn't allowed to curse and there were a lot of rules uh (laughs) like there was you were and that's how we created that magnificent piece of art the virgin mary because Mm. that's who you were i don't know what you're like now well it was it was it was our first one and it was on melrose in front of the best one too in, in front of a vintage store, um, yeah. in front of a banana tree. It's a banana tree that we're in front of. Yeah, yeah. You're wearing that yellow shawl, right? Yellow. I, oh, it was, I had it handmade for me. Yeah. It's Vietnamese. Two hours outside of LA, there's a Vietnamese town, a whole Vietnamese community. And I went and I designed it. I picked the color and they tailored it to my body. I, I think you should put that one on the show notes. That's, a, that's such a special piece of art. It's so pure. Well, I should have had it as the book cover. I did. I uh, I did the the other one that we did do that day. It's titled Innocence, but it's a close up of just my face and the flowers around. I did that for my the book cover. I contemplated having the Virgin Mary as the book cover, but it is in the book. 
I love that you call it the Virgin Mary. Yes. And thank you for your kind words. Uh, my heart. Oh, is I have a lot more. Really open. My heart's very open right now. Yeah. I'm so, um, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, but let's do another podcast where, where you're going to flip the script for a whole podcast. We can totally do that. Um, but I want to twist it back around if that's okay. It's okay. okay. Even okay. though I got all riled up. Yeah. I've got a whole list of stuff I could say about you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, well thank you for the, um, you know, a lot of water, hydration. And, oh, what I really want to say about that thing that you mentioned about um, when I met you, like how I did it how I didn't swear and didn't allow cuss words because I am so I'm a, I've learned along my journey I'm an HSP as I know you are an empath a HSP a highly sensitive person 15 to 20 yeah. percent of the population are HSPs so I feel and I'm and I found out through my human design I'm a projector do you know what you are on your human design okay no. I'm gonna have you there's five I'm gonna send it it's a free oh is that it it's not the enneagram it's the human design okay. and it's okay it's what it is, just so you know, on a psychological level, like, oh, oh, I'm so emotional. You're not doing this or you're uh, you're so emotional. Oh, Katie's not doing this, blah, blah, blah. But the thing is, or, and a lot of parents are having their children do it because like, why aren't they doing this? Because they're not designed. It's not their design. I'm a projector. So I like, I'm, I'm the connector. I'm the projector. I see the vision on the macro level. I have like a projector. So that's who I am. But along the journey, since I've known you, I'm an HSP. So I'm a highly sensitive person. You know, there's toxicity. So there's like what you can like toxic chemicals in our environment with our emissions. There's toxic things we can put into our body. There's physical toxins, there's narcissism, there's mental abuse, physical, like verbal toxins. So for me, I was so sensitive to the power of the word and the sound and what we vibrate and what comes out of our, our instrument, our, our yeah. sound and our word. So I was really particular of honoring you and our relationship and respecting who we are and our kinship when we planted a seed that I didn't want to allow any of those things tainting our pure connection. That's why. So I'm not as anal I think it's as great. I was. <laughs> um, you know, since you, I've developed a very close relationship with an Amish family and they don't, they, Uncle Rob, no cursing, okay? No cursing and no replacement words, okay? Mm. And I think you were, you were all about the replacement words as well. Totally, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. So, you know, you know, like our main chakras and our vibes and what comes out of our mouth and it's, it's energy, energy, emotion. And when I'm saying something, um, when the listener is tuning into us there, it's going on to their aura, it's going into their soul and it's transmuting and it's going to shape shift their, th their psychological process, their thought. So if we're over here, I mean, farting away and burping away and doing weird things, like that's another podcast, like, you know, and that's what they want because they choose to be there but right. that's that's not what's that's not what's here so i'm not gonna say i don't do that anymore i i hands down totally tell people all the time like i'm very aware of my sound environment so lastly like on this topic when let's say you're traveling internationally in new york city and you're in new york and people are swearing and cursing and saying things like there could be children around. Like you're someone's screaming a lot of times in New York City, screaming things out, like not aware of the humanity and, you know, society around them. I think it's just so like you said earlier, mindfulness. You've you've learned to be mindful in your work. You're a very mindful person, very compassionate. One of the most compassionate people I ever know. One of the best listeners I've 
ever met in my whole entire life. You really listen. And when you listen, you listen so well that it's silent. There is silence. When I speak, everything is silent because you are really listening right now, right now. See, silent. (laughs) Yeah, totally, totally. So um, circling back around um, on Polaroids. So I don't know if this is my little girl illusion, but this is a story I, I share and tell. When you... This is what I remember from the planted seed from you. When you told me the news that the Polaroid was being discontinued, I remember you, um, I don't want to say frantically, but energetically moving and needing to go and buy up as many Polaroids as you could and put them in freezers so they could preserve. <laughs> is, is this correct? I, I don't think I bought as many as I could, but I think you might have, I don't know if that's exactly what happened, but I know Polaroid sent me a few cases. Ooh, lucky and, you. And I did put, yes, I did put, I didn't buy, I love the way that you, Oh yeah. like I bought a massive, like 900 acre freezer. Oh. No, I just, I put a couple cases in the freezer. Okay, I'm going to take it a step further because my added story that I made up in my own head. I love that story. Oh yeah, I know. I have I have a boost for you. Okay. I have literally from my fantasy and imagination of the extreme of it of, of you being a, a living legend having to find a new medium that you went and bought up as many polaroids as you could to put them in all the freezers that you could. <laughs> Including your parents. (laughs) I don't, I might have put one case in my parents, maybe. Okay, okay. I don't remember though. Yeah. But I love the way you remember it. Filling up all the freezers. You know, look, (laughs) history, it is, it depends. It's written whoever wrote it. So I guess that's what happened. Right. The extension of the vibe. So speaking of freezers, I know, you know, with mental health and physical health and what- what a lot of people talk about, I know you got a freezer and yeah. so you do ice baths and you're very um, keen on ice baths now. That's true. Yes. Uh, about two years ago, I started, I had, um, I'd worked with photographing uh, people that had experienced tremendous trauma, like police officers, firefighters, uh, people in the military were some of the people that I did projects with and and some of them became instructors Wim Hof instructors and what that was it, what it is is a, um, a a practice of breath work and sitting in in the cold ice 28 degree water for like two minutes to five minutes to just rewire your central nervous system and to become more resilient and to increase your ability to experience more joy in your life. And when I heard whims, but they tried to get me to go on the ice for a couple of years. And I I was like, no, I don't want to do that. Why would I ever want to be cold like that? That's ridiculous. But then I heard Wim speak and he was talking about how his wife committed suicide and he went through tremendous hardship. And what saved him was he fell in love with the cold. He started swimming in ice ponds and he just, he really immersed himself into cold therapy. And I just thought, you know, I I don't feel like I can access the joy that I want to. And I always felt, I, I was never like, didn't have clinical depression, but there was an, always a low level of, of sadness, which sadness is a very good thing to have if you know how to integrate it. But 
there was something that was a little out of balance that I couldn't access the joy in the way that I, I knew was possible. And I would, I, not that there's anything against uh, people doing antidepressants or because I, they, can, they help a lot of people, but I never wanted to, to manipulate my hormone system because I wanted to be able to access the depth of sadness, the agony and the ecstasy. Me too. So, yeah. So I went and I, um, but if it's going to save your life, then please go. Completely, yeah. completely. So then the next day after I heard Wim, I went and bought one of these flat chest freezers and I'd never sat in ice. And that was about a little over two years ago. And I've been doing it um, when I'm at my home studio, mm -hmm. probably just about every day. Brave. I love I that. Just got out a few minutes ago. Beautiful. Very refreshing. Um, when I was in Vegas um, at uh, Caesars, I always want to say Little Caesars, but Caesars Palace, um, yeah. the spas are amazing. But <laughs> there's there's an ice bath in different spas I've been to. They always have like a little ice dunk. Right. Where you can just go in and go dunk. And once you the go- The circuit. Huh? The circuit. The sauna, the yes. ice bath, the yes. hot bath. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I and when I'm when I'm there at the spas, I'll literally, when once you just boo, 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 and you go in and you get to the neck and I can sit there because it's mind over matter and I can I can sit there for a long time and it's so yes. good it's so yeah. good and I don't have an ice bath and I don't think it's the same if like if I fill up my tub with ice bath I don't feel it's the same so for the listener and the viewer if you can't if you don't have an ice bath or if you can't jump in check out your local communities they have them or you can like do like a, a class pass or something now or like a class pass app or you can like check just to pay like a one-time fee and like go and try and experience an ice bath also um hof is h-o-f so it's wim w-i-m h-o-f so you can um yeah there's a great uh video made by vice 40 minutes okay uh a documentary on him that will change the way you think about your body and what your your potential is Okay, so I'll put it in the show notes. Okay. And also, um, for anyone's like, oh my God, 40 minutes, cool if you want to know Wim Hof. But also, I personally, a few times, I don't practice it as I would want to consistently, but I would love to put it in my calendar to do this. But there's a 10-minute Wim Hof. And if you just Google Wim Hof 10-minute on YouTube, um, I'll put it in the show notes as well it's a 10 minute and you get so deep in your breath that you get it's invigorating you get past dr joe dispenza says we have 60 to seventy thousand thoughts per day 90 percent of our thoughts are the same thoughts you get so deep in your body and your breath that you move stuff on the inside your organs your energy like your chakras you align your central nervous system so if you can't jump in an ice bath you could definitely do the wim hof uh, 10 minutes a day or whenever you want to if you're feeling sadness or trauma or just if you're homeostasis and feeling your equilibrium's like balance, you can just do it just to raise the vibration and for your mental health and share it with people who could possibly enjoy this with you, a partner, a family member, you know, so yeah. Cool vibes on that. Thanks for sharing. I appreciate that. Thank you. So shifting into, you mentioned trauma and uh, police officers. Um, when you needed to transition from Polaroid to reinventing yourself, share where you went next in your work. I What happened was when Polaroid announced that they were going to go out of business, I had already done an extensive series 
pretty much in a lot of places in the world, Cuba to Nepal, India, all over Europe, Mexico, and extensively through the United States. And when they announced that they were going out of business, I had just started to practice yoga because it was at a time in my life where I decided that I wanted to heal some things and become more grounded. And I grew up in Los Angeles, so I'd always been around yoga and heard that these yoga people were very powerful and meditated and could just handle life in a, in a graceful way. And so I decided that I wanted to try yoga right when all this was about to happen because I, I knew that I needed to be strong. And I also knew that that was around the time when I was talking about giving up the struggle. So that was the beginning of my yoga journey. But then when I was doing it, and I looked around and I noticed that it was so beautiful. Like I could tell a story of humanity through this, these postures, through this heart opening, reaching type of uh, poetic, figurative poetry. Mm-hmm. So I volunteered for a magazine, a yoga magazine, that I, and they assigned me to a different teacher once a month because I figured if I was around them, I would start to practice more yoga and I could evolve and, and strengthen who I am and become better at adapting to change. Mm. I really immersed myself in that. And that's it. while I was doing it, I, I looked around and it was incredible. And I devoted the last few hundred rolls of film, maybe like a thousand rolls to the celebration of this, of yoga. And that was all done with Polaroid. But then when I was right, when I was out and I didn't know what I was going to do, I mean, I figured I was going to get a camera, a digital camera and go, but I didn't know because I was also trained as a painter. So I really had no idea. But then I got a call from a warden in a prison in central California. And she, this prison invited me to come and document their growing yoga program. And she had just heard about my work. And I immediately went and bought a very inexpensive digital camera, which, like I said, it was it was like going from running a marathon in the stilettos to a pair of Nikes. So anyways, I went to the prison and I just documented this whole different, like the most extreme juxtaposition of what I had been doing, this idealistic vision of yogis by the sea to all of a sudden working with human beings that are serving life sentences. And that would open up the doors to to wanting to photograph the outliers of society. And everyone from firefighters to police officers to Maasai warriors at Mount Kilimanjaro to people at the Braille Institute, just anybody that was devoting themselves to this practice. I mean, didn't they didn't have to do too much, but it was a story about human beings in pursuit of being better at being human, of healing, of wanting to get better at doing life. And that's what I saw through these gestures. And that took me all over the world. And so there was, so I was, that was it, the transition it just happened. So how many prisons? Hundreds? Like, uh, how many prisons? No. Oh, I've been to San Quentin quite a few times in San Francisco area. And um, then a, a few different ones throughout California. And I've also been to a few in Mexico with Prison Yoga Project. And then I also went to one in um, Africa, in Nairobi, and worked in, with Africa Yoga Project and did a whole series in the prisons there. And then visually, because I've seen your gorgeous creations. So you went from these, you know, sand, ocean, 
mother nature, divine femininity, gorgeous, like graceful, colorful pieces to uh, your work in the prisons, the color palette shifted and there was prison bars and um, yeah. how's that um, visually for you with the, with, with the color palettes? It was the greatest thing that could have ever happened because the way when I first started photographing yoga in 2007 or six or so, right around then seven, the yoga world was homogenous and it was a, it was a box and it was just this certain type of person that was on the covers of magazines. And so when I saw, when I got to experience this, I made it my, I wanted, I loved the bars and and the tats and the whole everything just just everything about it and because i thought about it and when people talk about the yoga world how can you talk about the yoga world as an industry it's not an industry world it's the world it's the mm. whole world mm -hmm. and the world does this for free meditation yoga whatever they're doing to awaken to, to find stillness to taking a moment to realizing that it's important to take care of ourselves because we only have a certain amount of time here and a lot of people want to do a good job while they're here and that starts with working on ourselves. Mm. And I saw that with people all over the world, mm -hmm. no different. And I saw that people that I was working with on the beaches and, and they were going to be on the covers of magazines, they were no different than the people serving a life sentence because really ultimately everybody that, I mean, you know, you're a professional model. So, you know, when, when a photographer is paying attention to you, it's like, forget the camera. The camera means nothing. When someone is so excited that they're seeing your light, mm. you can feel that. Mm -hmm. And the people in the prisons felt that the person mm. that was going to be on the cover of the magazine, mm. because when I'm in my work and I'm holding that camera, I have one mission mm -hmm. and that is to see their light and that's it it's uncompromising i know i'm going to get there i don't know how i'm going to get there all the time but i know i'm going to get there because i have so much desire and when that camera's in my hand that's all i want to do and it, it gets me so high when i see it when I, I just see it in them and i start making these photographs where they're just they're this they're just incredible this it's glorious it's so beautiful like what you just said like your desire to go and meet a soul and find their light like a, the discovery for you as an artist to find their light and then when you on the search of their light and then to discover to just to discover their light it's just it's that's the best gift I think you could gift anyone in the in the world, right? It really it is a good gift, and we actually all have that opportunity with as photographers with our phones to pay attention to others and celebrate them through, you know, making photographs of them. Yeah, yeah. Always, people want to be paid attention to. There's a story I want to tell you, okay? Oh, please. So, and this really influenced my work a lot. So in, a long time ago, maybe it was 20 years ago or so that I read this article in the New Yorker and it was called Jumpers. And it was the history of all the people that jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge and survived. Mm. And they interviewed all the people they could find that survived and they all said they regretted it on the way down. And then they interviewed people that survived, jumped twice and survived twice, and they regretted it both times on the way down. And then there was this 
young man in his 30s. And the coroner was called to this person's house. And when the coroner's called, you know what the coroner is there to do. And when he he got to the house with the, he was with the suicide assessment and some sort of psychiatrist on the suicide team. And when he walked in, there was a note and it said, I'm walking to the bridge. If one person smiles at me, I won't jump. That's why they say a smile can change someone's day. Can save a life. Yeah. So with the camera, wow. it's an opportunity to pay attention to people so that they feel seen. Mm. Yeah. To feel good. Yeah. Uh, to Because people talk about ego, you know, so it's okay to have a healthy ego. People are like, oh, K-I-L-L, the ego. Like, you know, like it's okay to have a healthy ego. I'm like, oh, I'm being photographed. It's not selfish. It's self-love. Like, being photographed someone's honoring me seeing my light as you said and I love that and you know ever since I was a kid I when I'm walking down the street I'm bopping around hi how you doing hello I always do it I just always have and coming from my cross-country background athletes they have this runners they have this kind of etiquette where it's like good job good job you know it's just kind of a thing that you do but I think I always like um credited my my being my cross-country etiquette to doing that in life with people but now I just remembered deep down I didn't know the reason why but because of your story that you just shared that's the deep reason why I do that because I want to share the joy because I definitely know the pain and the sorrow and I know that we're all gifted this beautiful life and it's an opportunity to be here and to always connect with people in their light it's who I tend to because I'm I know I'm God's angels we all are but I know for me to connect with people that's for me to connect with people to share some of my energy and my light and say hi how are you and you do that through your work but that's an amazing beautiful impactful you do that through your life that's an important story you do that through your life mm. Yeah, you do. I do. And I remember it the first time I met yeah. you. Oh yeah. I really, I do. I oh. I, I remember it vividly. Oh, let's talk and about it because let's talk about it because I definitely want to give my lens of on it. Go ahead, please. Well, you were wearing, I believe, a Harley Davidson jacket. Oh, white with yellow stripe. I got it in Ohio. <laughs> Yo, it was bad. It was so awesome. Where is it now? Gone. I, Why? It was, I I think I took it to the dry cleaners and they ruined oh, okay, it. Okay. Like horrible. It expired. Okay. Like, yeah. Wow. I must have looked. Wow. Dang in. It was like 2003. <laughs> it was 2003. Yeah. 2002, maybe. So I will tell you, it was the year Jennifer Lopez and she wore that light green off the shoulder one was sleeveless one is a sleeve and she showed up with ben affleck and at, it was our, at the party i went to yeah it was an it was an oscar event it was for the oscars it was in the hills it was in um, mount olympus and it was the circular house when you're driving up fairfax and you see that circular house and a tech guy lives there now last i heard because he's always having pool parties and stuff and it was a place during the day i was there mtv hosted event paris hilton was there she came out with the these uh, nipple things, these nipple covers. And she was there 
you can see it in the in the Google. She was, I don't know if she came out with it. I think she did. Or she was just pr- wearing it because someone else promoted it. But she was wearing like this short little mini skirt. And she had these no top on and nipple covers. And they were like mermaid nipple covers. And that, that was, you weren't there. It was a day party. My cousin Dimitri, oh. my cousin Dimitri flew in from yes, Michigan. Yes, Dimitri was there. Yeah, he flew in from Michigan. He visited me. I took him to a day party there. It was a suite. And there was like uh, 30 different, you know, booths set up right next to it. We were getting all this swag and MTV they were hosting a thing and Paris was there and she was wearing these little nipple no shirt but nipple covers and then we left and we got ready and we came back and it was the night of the Oscars and um and Jennifer Lopez was there I don't want to say lime green but it's this beautiful like light green um one shoulder empty off the shoulder hair back with Ben Affleck he and I, there was like hundreds of people at this party. And this is massive. You could be anywhere in the house, anywhere on the property, upstairs, downstairs, wherever. He and I were hiding. We were having, we were having a private moment. We were hiding out of the spotlight. Just us two. We were sitting down. Um, I was honestly between us, I was, I was, you know, having some cannabis. <laughs> you walked this way you walked this way I was down and for some reason like we just connected it it was like a magical moment and we connected and that's how we met and became friends right there in that moment wow I don't remember that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't remember anyone being there but I'm from LA so maybe I don't even notice those things Mm -hmm. I mean you what do you mean you you remember people being there like you were at a party Paris <laughs> she wasn't there at the night time. I don't With think J Lo and Ben Affleck. I don't oh, yeah, remember they, them. Oh yeah, they were there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll send you for the photos. All right, I get it. Okay, that's oh. funny. <laughs> Mary. Mary, wasn't Mary there from Trashy Lingerie? I don't know who that is. Okay, all right. I don't know who that's that is. That's how I was invited. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, you were by yourself. Nope, I was with a friend. No, no, when, when you weren't with her. You were walking oh, right, around, right. maybe going to find her, but you you, you were lost at a party. You weren't with her. You were okay. by yourself when you um, passed by, and you were just glowing. You had this energy about you. You are smiling. You had this big smile on your face. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. And then we were just inseparable after that. Yeah. We went on to being great, great, dear friends. And we created a whole series together. Time, though, there was a time when it's not, wait, how, it's been 20 years? Uh, no, because it's, uh, it's 2021. More. So almost, almost. No, it's almost. No, 20. No, like 2023 would be 20. If we okay. met in 20, if it was, if we met, Okay. 2023 or 2024 will be uh, two decades. Okay. Because it was in 2005. I met you, you before then. Yeah. You have evolved so much. Mm. I mean, I remember you were, I think you thought like you weren't into yoga or meditation or anything, anything even remotely close to that. But then I didn't see you for a while and you evolved into becoming so much more deeply immersed in in healing Mm. and that was that was amazing that you went in that direction thank you thank hollywood to that so speaking of yoga uh two things um you mentioned your uh your your journey what kind of yoga did you start practicing as far as asana is concerned i started just practicing um gosh it's it's been, it's so insignificant to me because it's, okay. there's so much more to, to yoga right. than that for me now, but Hatha yoga Love. and uh, vinyasa flow. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I just it didn't matter what style I was practicing. I just really would be drawn to certain teachers. Mm. And I had one teacher in particular that taught me how to just create this emptiness, this like take me through sequencing for an hour where you empty it all out and you burn through it. And then by the 60th minute of the practice, then there's 30 minutes where you sit on your mat and you do stretching and twisting and relax. Like Ian? No, 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 no. This is just the, this is after a vigorous practice. Then you take it to the mat and everything's pretty easy and gentle after that. But during those 30 minutes after the rigorous practice, I was so relaxed that I had so much clarity. And that's why I fell in love with yoga because it gave me the clarity and courage to make choices from that place and Mm. problem solve. And so that that's really why I fell in love with it, because Mm -hmm. it helped me evolve so quickly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you for sharing. And you mentioned um, what I was into what I wasn't into how I evolved. Uh, I would just like to share um, two of my favorite types of yoga. I love uh, Tibetan meditation. I've always Tibet. I've always been um, connected (laughs) to uh, that form of deep, deep meditation. I love Kundalini. So when I started practicing Kundalini, I uh, I haven't shared this with you before. So actually, when I was doing things with Kundalini, things I was doing, I was doing when I was eight years old. I was doing when I was a child. I just didn't know it was called Kundalini. When I got out of a hot shower, I always, my parents raised us very independent. So I had my own space, my own bedroom, my own bathroom, my own everything. It was a definite privilege to have my own space because I know with respect and boundaries of knocking on someone's door and having your own room and just allowing so much space. I, I always held a lot of space for myself in the world because I was given so much space as a, as a child. But when I was a child, when I would come out of the hot shower, I had a practice that I did for 45 minutes. I would just sit with myself. I would just sit cross-legged. And I would breathe and I always, when my mind was just so alleviated from whatever was going on, because after like a hot shower, your mind opens. I was doing things like this. Yeah. Like going like this. And then after it was empty, I would go the opposite way. Wow. With my fists like this and my hands over my heart. And I would, um, you know, and I would go like this around my aura. And then I even like did this thing right here above my head clear my crown chakra, but I didn't know the language. I didn't know it was called crown chakra. Right. I was born into it. I just didn't know it was called Kundalini. Natural born yogi. Exactly. Exactly. That's the thing is, is you didn't know. And then, and then we get told things as we get older. And then as we evolve and, and mature, if we're lucky, we can forget all that and tap back into discovering it just by being in sync with nature which is what happened to you when you were younger, that you basically invented Kundalini without it being, it just, you just, something in, instinctual, intuitive, yeah. discovered yeah, I, it. Mm-hmm. I think because now I know the language of empath and I know the language of HSP, I just felt things that I couldn't explain to people and I found a way to be able to dismantle and clear it so I could be afresh, right? Based on my own circumstances growing up in a big wild Greek family. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cool. So um, what are you doing right now um, with your creations? Where is Robert Sermon in the world right now? Right now, I am on a pause. I was, I decided that 
before the pandemic hit, I was slowing down just because I wanted to, I wanted to evaluate the life I lived and what I've done and work on some things in myself so I could catch up to the work that I've been doing because I feel like my work is very evolved and but my me as a person needed to step more into that the work leads the way and I had been traveling hotels and rental cars and meeting people for this shoot and that shoot and doing so much so so much busy that I was carving out some time before the pandemic hit because I wanted to take a year or two years to just stop, Mm. just stop. And what I was telling you about with that tapping into that intuitive intelligence, Mm -hmm. I knew that I needed to be in one place (laughs) so that I could just breathe and do nothing, not read books, not, you know, I mean, I've done all that, but anything, everything is noise except for silence. So I knew that I needed time to really just rest and see what I've been about and see where I'm going, where I want to go. And I also wanted to spend some time with my father, who has been struggling with cancer for the last couple of years. And uh, we believe it's healed now, but there's other complications. But I wanted to use rather than being busy all the time to to work on my life and to also spend time with him and reflect back to him that his life has had tremendous meaning and that his his life he will live in me but i just needed to slow down and develop a daily practice and discipline and because i was all over the place i went with the wind and which served me i got a lot accomplished met some incredible people but i just i needed to kind of turn into a monk for a little bit. So I, I'm probably going to be publishing a book fairly soon. And I'm hoping that to be, uh, to be invited into museums at some point to fill them with dynamic exhibitions of, of humanity all around the world in pursuit of excellence and awakening. So, but I just needed time to cultivate that kind of confidence, that power and good health too. And because when you're busy like that and somewhat, it's hard to, to really take care of yourself when you travel a lot, unless you're really, really disciplined, which I'm not, Mm -hmm. I'm working on it. Mm -hmm. And, um, So I I just wanted to just be a monk and take care of myself and develop a lot more self-respect and self-love and and just sit still, you know? Yeah, love. Swim in the ocean, be in the ice, relax. Oh my God, I need to swim in the ocean. I I feel everything you're saying is so wild. We've been on the same journey. I totally reflect and relate of what you're saying. Tony Robbins says it's like a blueprint. You have this blueprint and then you like live out the blueprint. And so I've dismantled stuff. And now I'm like evaluating my blueprint, God willing for the next two decades. Right. So yes. um, yeah, I personally We're gonna live long lives and we need to take care of ourselves. I mean, people are what 150, 170. I mean, people are going to go, <laughs> go the distance here. We're, we're on the way. You sure are. <laughs> okay. Okay. You, I interrupted you. You were going to say something. Um, you're going to say um, a million things probably. Mm, um, mm, it'll come, it'll come. Okay. Um, but yeah. Oh, um, one thing I want to share about the ocean in a moment, but you, yeah, your family values reflecting, just being able, you were a sponge taking it all in. So it's like, okay, now you've taken it all in. You are a seeker, like very curious going after it up, down in between and just allowing it just to be 
allowing it to just be in the now and to celebrate all those ambitions, you know, and to honor yourself and to self-reflect and have self-love and just, you know, endow in the, in your, in your family and the commune of everything you've birthed, you know, for your, your life and your career, you've been just birthing all these things, you know, and great. I I look forward to your book. People can get uh, your work on your website and, um, that's that's so amazing. We even like dabbled, you know, and chatted before you could be venturing into the new world of NFTs. We might find the the good grace in, to see your work um, on the blockchain uh, in the near future, which is really cool. Oh, something you mentioned about the ocean. I need to swim so bad. But I remember I was up for a TV show for, it was called Noggin. It was the new Nickelodeon, but uh, for like tweens, for like teenagers, the next level up called Noggin. It was like the new network Noggin. I was for a TV show and I needed to know how to surf and I went out for it seven times. I went, they called me back seven times, uh, McNamara for the producers and everything. You took me out to Zuma. You took yeah. me along. I bought a wetsuit. I bought booties. I bought gloves. You took me on your longboard surfing. You took me <laughs> surfing. You brought your longboard. I mean, I couldn't get up. I could not stand up. That It was so huge. I couldn't get past the break of the ocean. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. Did you get the part? Oh, no. They gave it to a, um, this other girl who was from Venice, and I found through the grapevine later on, they wish they they would have went with me. She ended up being a drunk. She ended up being horrible on set, very depressive, not showing up on time, and blah, 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 blah. But yeah. that's the nature of the business. It happens. But I, it's wild because I said it's wild. It's wild. Because it is you, wild, too. It's wild. You never... It's rare that you find out like why or what happened. Usually you just don't know unless you see the movie, you see who booked it. But it was wild that it came back around. It was because I went out for it seven times. And actually my friend who did book it, Michael Copon, who's an actor, he did book it. And he's the one that told me that's because it was shooting in Hawaii. I was going to live in Hawaii. Like that's the dream, right? Living in Hawaii, shooting a, a TV show, like with your friends. Like that was so cool. But Michael, I think Michael Copon is the one that shared the news because it's rare that things actually get back and that you find out unless you know someone. That was amazing. I remember I had my first um, chai latte. We, we stopped at that Starbucks along the way and you introduced me uh, to a chai latte and I was having them for years after. You turned me on to chai lattes. Thank you so much. Hot chai latte. You still drink those? Uh, you know, I haven't in a while, but now because you just remembered, we just remembered and talked about it. I'm, yeah. I'm going to go order one immediately. Yeah, I haven't had one in years. Yeah, I know. But I remember when you stopped. Because, because of, of so much sugar. I remember when you stopped and that was why. Oh, so this is what I wanted to ask. Are you surfing still? Uh, no, I just swim. Okay. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Oh, swimming. I think one day again, I will surf. When I live somewhere closer to the beach with where it's just easily accessible, I'll, I'll get in again. But mm-hmm. right now it's just my dog and I go up the coast probably about five or six days a week and I jump in the ocean, and go for a little swim. That does it for me. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. That's so cool. That's so cool. Oh. By the way, my dog's name is Chai. Yeah. 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 Hey, Chai. Love you. Um, Oh, two things. One, when you were speaking about Osho, you introduced me to Osho. I read a few of his books because of you. Thank you. I love Osho. Also, you turned me on to Khalil Gibran. Khalil Gibran is one of the greatest mystics. You know know what? It's, It's everyone says it and spells it differently. So it doesn't really matter. Khalil, you could say it however you want, but Khalil Gibran 
was just this extraordinary poet that spoke about the joy and the sorrow, a tear and a smile, the agony and the ecstasy. And that his his writings influenced my work more than any other any other writer, artist, period. Yeah, yeah. You gifted me a book. You hand gifted me a book. And it was it's one of the most beautifulest books I've ever read in my whole entire life. The Prophet. Over the holidays, when I was, before I was releasing my poetry book that we collaborated on, uh-huh. um, I read, I was reading like poems on love and uh, an expression of what you just said and what you were sharing earlier, the depths of the, the soul and, and feeling it and tapping into the sadness and tapping into the thing to feel that, to be able to transmute it and to put it into the words, to not self-inflict, to not let it sabotage, but to be able to use it. Uh, he says to understand the, 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 the joyous of the joy, the joy of the joy, and to, to understand the, to understand the depths of the sorrow, to understand the depths of the sorrow, you have to understand and feel the depths of, of the joy and about being on one side of the bed. Like if you're on one side of the bed and everything's so grand and beautiful, you know what it's like to be on the other side. And when you're on the other side, you know, it's only a matter of time or a day or whatever to know the other side, to, to understand both sides of, of the bed and the, the joy of the high and the, and the depths of the sorrow. Uh, it's just so, so beautiful, so gorgeous. And I'm a poet and you're a poet and I'm so happy you turned me on to Osho and Kilio Gabron. And seriously, have you seen Dickinson yet? Dickinson, like Emily, Emily Dickinson. Emily Dickinson. Oh, there's a series out with, oh, based on her life. It is so funny. Wow. And so cool. I've been writing poetry nonstop, and I understand my voice as an artist and as a poet more, and understanding solitude and not having to explain myself. Earlier, you're saying give myself permission, allow that, and discovery as a journey as an artist, like. It's very rare, like I'm close to people, but someone who's like, you know, really close that can really affect you emotionally, like the Titanic, right? So to not explain oneself and to understand, you know, my language and my space that I need without explaining it and just owning it like an oak tree. Dickinson, you you immediately need to watch it. So I want to honor you and your time and your space because we've we've been going and I love you and we could be here all day. To hone it in and wrap it up, I just want to communicate a couple of things. One, where's, I know you've been all over around the world, but where's one or two places that are just like, that pop out that are just like, oh my God, this was magnificent. I think two places that really pop out are the Himalayas. So through Nepal, and northern India, um, north of Rishikesh, and into Nepal. Just something about it. It was. It's just. There's a this timeless feeling of just. It's the top of the world. So I loved loved that area. It's it's the area approaching Tibet, and also Mount Kilimanjaro, another top of the world, mm. um, in. Um, Africa. Mm, 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 mm-hmm. So those two were, are definitely just, I felt something mm. old, very, very old and yeah. connected. Yeah. That's how I felt when I was in India. I, when I was going to Europe many, many times in my life and I thought, oh, this is old country, old history, London, Paris. But when I yeah. went to India, I felt something ancient there, right. ancient in India. Well, one place 
uh, that really knocks me off. I mean, I'm Greek and I love the Greek islands. So I, I just, if you're going to go to Greece, you need to go for a month. And I highly suggest flying straight into Mykonos, not into Athens, because Athens isn't really Athens. It's two and a half hours away from the Parthenon. So I suggest getting a one-way ticket straight to Mykonos. It, travel to the islands. We island hopped seven different islands one summer, a couple summers ago, and then end the trip if you've never been to the Parthenon. And I felt it was my civil duty to take you know my partner with me to the Parthenon, even though I already went there so many times, to... To, to see it, but on the way out, do it after you've relaxed, after you've traveled the island, right, do, do right. the do Athens at the end of the leg and fly out from that quote unquote Athens airport. So I would have to say that, but going to the golden temple was pretty magnificent. That was really cool. The Wagi border, the, the I, I went to the sacred uh, changing of the guards at sundown and I touched the point of where India and Pakistan meet. And I actually have photographs with the horses and um, the, the Pakistani soldiers. I'm like, you you know, we're taking photos together. It was so cool. It was, and I was on the um, the side of India and it's just a barbed wire. It's just barbed wire that separates the land. So another uh, lightning round question I have for you. Where is somewhere in the world that you haven't been that you really want to go to? Well, just after hearing you speak about hopping around those seven islands, I'll go there. That sounds good. Okay. That would be awesome. Uh, but I feel like... Uh, Extreme places like um, Patagonia, deep down the tip of South America, that whole area, all through South America, especially because I could speak Spanish too. That would be quite fascinating. That and I mean, I'm looking at a a map of the world right now and there's just, there's so many places. I'd love to just take trains through China. I'd love to go to Alaska. New Zealand, there's just, and I don't think I'm going to get to all those places because it's so, I I just, it's not important enough to put that much energy because I do love, as I said, staying still. So there's going to be a few more big trips, but um, I definitely long for some of the more, some of the colder places now Mm. that I've acclimated myself to cold a little more. Mm. I think Alaska would be incredible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I went to Alaska. I ran a marathon. Out. I, I, when I was 19, I um, was I won Miss Michigan Teen Motor City. And to represent my documentational leadership ability, I raised $4,500 in Michigan, went with 112 people from Michigan, and I ran a marathon with the program Team and Train. And we ran uh, um, partly up Mount McKinley. Wow. 26.2 miles. So what I was going to say to you is with nature and the yeah. mountains and drinking the fresh water from the waterfalls you will love alaska so your first place i definitely highly suggest alaska for you okay mm-hmm. yeah it's so wild that alaska seems so exotic and far but it's in america you know it's like it's like hawaii alaska seems like its own thing but it's you know it's it's in the u.s well it's way up there above canada oh and it was really cool going to sleep and it was like bright light i was there i ran the You're marathon in june July, June. Yeah. So what happened was when I was running the marathon, the locals were like, (sighs) they couldn't, they couldn't stand it. I was like, cool. I was great. I had no problem (laughs) um, with, you know, the, the air, but yeah, at nighttime when we were camping in the woods with the big trees and just, it was so light, you know, when you were going to sleep, but it was really cool. Like walking around the town in Anchorage and you see these fishermen and you see these uh, picnic table, wooden desk with these 
fish that are just like 10 feet long, like massive. They're so big and thick. And that's what they need to catch. Or the, the locals come and they get the fresh fish and pay. And that's what they take home to their families to eat. I mean, that's how they're, you know, eating meals. The first time I was in Alaska, that's what the first time I had halibut fresh, amazing. But then halibut was going extinct. So they actually didn't have it at certain restaurants in Beverly Hills. For a certain time, they weren't um, serving uh, Chilean sea bass. Yeah. Do you remember when that happened? No. Yeah. But there's a movie for you to see called Sea Spiracy. Oh, I heard about it. Okay, I'll watch it. I think it. you'll enjoy it. I'll watch it tonight. Thank you. Okay. For sharing that with me. Yeah. Okay, lastly, wrapping it in here... For fellow humans, artists, whether, you know, it's a, a child, uh, someone on their discovery path of just being an artist, what are some wise words, wisdoms, any, I mean, everything you've been saying is just a wise word and gem. So uh, anything uh, additional you would like to share with fellow artists? Yes. Know what your dreams are and stick to your dreams and don't be swayed by the dream of the world. Mm, love that. Never give up. Never, ever, ever give up your dream. Because there's going to be a lot of opportunities to get in your head and think that the world does not care about what you have to say. That's why your dream is the most important dream. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. Never, never give up that dream because it's yours and no one else has it. And no one knows what's going on in here and in here, in our heart and our minds and our souls. No one knows. Like you don't, I don't know your visions and what you want, your dreams, right? And what's a, what's a, an idea, a, a, a tool or tips or something for people to discover their dreams? Maybe if they're confused, maybe along the way they get, they've, it's been tainted. How do you get in touch with self to find the dream of the dreams within if maybe someone's on a struggling path to know that, what that might be? Doing more and more things that help you respect yourself, self-care, self-love, and, and listening, not, you know, trying to refrain from committing crimes against your own wisdom, which means like, whether it's alcohol or whatever it is that you're doing that is, is keeping you from accessing your intelligence, then I would start to do your best to let go of some of those things so you can hear yourself speak and see your dream clearly. I love that. Whether it's meditation, yoga, uh, running, whatever it is, whatever it is, just sitting still, but not filling every moment with being busy with Netflix and texting and Instagram. This has to, you have to be intimate with yourself. You have empty to. it, empty it out. I love that. Um, I what comes to me also is journaling. Journaling is really cool, right? Yeah. Dancing, even just dancing, right? Yeah, dancing, yeah. absolutely. Following the joy, the and spirit, have ritual, ritual. Love it's that. A daily, daily practice doesn't happen overnight. Yeah, but it happens. Mm -hmm. I honor you. Thank you so much for being here and sharing. And I honestly can probably say uh, this is my best podcast yet. No, really? Yep. Mm -hmm. What's well, the, it's the connection. Thank you mm -hmm. for having me. It's that's, I mean, these are my favorite ones is where I have a history with the person and the mm. you know, connection. So thank you. I'm really honored. My pleasure. I'm, I'm so lucky because I've been able to witness your journey. That's exactly how I feel. 
about you and you've grown up so much so much but but <laughs> with with my language and wisdom not my, not by my physical looks right your wisdom no you got younger i don't know what the heck, heck excuse me what the heavens happened to you <laughs> uh, my my friend um jeff carrillo he says um i'm the fountain of youth you are my birthday's 11 11 you are the fountain of youth yeah it's amazing. Yeah, you're amazing. Uh, so, okay. Oh, the the works you mentioned of your favorite places, Nepal. Can people find those pieces of your work on your website now? Yeah. Yay. Yeah. If you do just experience, go through the website and experience it, you'll go to a lot of places in the world. Absolutely. RobertStermanStudio.com. It's in the show notes. Uh, follow Robert on Instagram, um, all social media platforms, Robert Sturman. Just Google him. Uh, you'll find him. Uh, say hello. Uh, support him. Be a part of his journey. Uh, reach out to him if you have any questions. He's very open, loving, and compassionate. So, you know, just definitely reach out to Robert and um, yeah, thank you for spending time with us. We honor you and, and your time and, and you holding space to be here so we can learn and grow together. Cool. Likewise. Thank you so much, Katie. Awesome. So I, I must ask, so I would love to have you back on She's All Over the Place. So um, would you, uh, um, it would be an honor if you would come back in the near future and, and have another chat. Of course I would. Yay. Anything for you. Yay. Awesome. Anything with you. With you. I'd be honored. Yes. Perfect. But I'm going to turn the tables a lot more. Oh, we should, we should do seriously, that. Seriously, I, I was a podcaster for a while. I don't know if you knew that. And I have to, yeah, I had a podcast. And um, a few years ago. Yes, I was a host. And I have to tell you, it's one of the harder things that I ever had to do because, and I never quite got good at it. It's a muscle. And you, you hold space because you have to pay attention and you have to really pay attention, but also be flowing and preparing your questions as you're paying attention. And it was, and then there was the editing and I, it was just, it was way too much for me. So I applaud you because to be a great podcaster, you have to be interested. You have to be more concerned with being interested than interesting, yeah. which is a great quality to have. And I care, I can do that with as a photographer, but it was just too much. I did 25 and I interviewed all the extraordinary people that I worked with that were kind of the outliers of, of the yoga world. And like, you know, people that you would never expect. Like I even brought my podcast gear into prisons. But so, but I know it was one of the harder things. So I applaud you for holding space for people like that. It's a great gift and you're superb at it. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Um, I wanted to start my podcast seven or eight years ago. I didn't know how to get on the train tracks. Thank God I'm like full steam ahead. Choo choo. Um, so <laughs> are the episodes still up if people wanted to check I them took out? them all. I took them all down. It was Aww. like, yeah, it was, no, it was nothing about um, being ashamed or anything. It was just a moment in time. And it was like the Tibetans, how they, they build the mandala sand paintings and then they destroy them. Um, it was, that's how my, my podcast career was. Wow. But you, do you still have the episodes? Yeah. I have them on my hard drive. Dope. You can always yeah. like, you know, republish them later or something. I like could. That. Yeah, I yeah. Could. yeah. 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 
Yeah, it's important having a team and having the support because it is definitely a lot of energy for yes. one person to do. So, oh, yeah. Yep. Awesome. So, on that note, we have really been all over the place. And uh, I appreciate you. You're a rock star, a living legend. And everyone, just uh, like I said, just the call to action is to get in tune with uh, Robert, follow his journey, and, uh, you know, Let's just become friends and stay connected. And until next time, uh, actually, we'll just uh, check in with you next week. Okay. Thank you so much for being here. We love you. Mwah. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Kiriaki, over and out. <laughs>